Hi, welcome to the Berry Nation podcast, where we support the bariatric community with humor, humility, and honesty. I'm April. And I'm Jason. I'm Natalie. And today, if you're watching on YouTube, you know that we have one of our most favorite humans in the world, who we actually got to meet at Renew 2022, Sam, bariatric chef Boyardee. Hi, friend. Hi, everybody. How are you? We are so excited to talk to you. It was like life goals when we got to hug you and actually spend time with you at retreat, <laughs> or at Renew. Truly. Truly. And the presentation that you gave there floored us. We were, the three of us were sitting at a table and we kept looking at each other like, oh my God, did you know that? What? How, how do we were just like so thrilled and angry at the same time because we were like, how did we not know this information? Why are we just getting it now? But silver lining, thank God, Sam is a friend and we can talk about this on our podcast with him. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. I, you know, when making that presentation, you never, I had a vision for what I felt like people in the bariatric space, especially for patients, feel like they need. And so that was my goal, but you never know how it's going to land with people. So I'm glad that that was your um, experience with it. Have you ever wished you had a dedicated bariatric buddy to help guide you along your weight loss journey? Well, guess what? You can find that person. Patient Partner connects pre-op bariatric patients to vetted post-op bariatric patients who help and encourage each other along the way. Patient Partner helps you feel more empowered, prepared, and supported through your surgery by connecting you to a community of recovered patients so you can move forward with confidence. Click the link in our Instagram bio to learn how you can take advantage of this free service and follow Patient Partner at patient underscore partner. Oh, it landed hard. It landed. <laughs> I would look around and just looking at everyone and everyone was like scratching their heads, jotting things down. I mean, these are, these are conversations, uh, what you presented at, at Renew was, um, these are conversations that we've never had as bariatric patients. So we're, uh, I know April, Jason, myself, we're just so excited to have you on and, and dive even deeper into this conversation. So, yeah, well, and I remember I was kind of sitting next to Jason and Sarah and I leaned over and at one point I was like, Jason, did you like just to see, um, like, you know, you, you had graphics of food and it was, you know, you had a steak. And of course, like Jason is, you know, meat master of the year. And I remember looking over at him and I'm like, oh my God, you showed this graphic of steak. And it was like, well, here's the macros, right? But then here's the micronutrients. And it was so, I mean, it was like, oh my God, I didn't realize that like a serving of some type of, you know, animal protein could have all of these other things that were in it. I mean, you know, it in the back of your brain. But to mm -hmm. see it that like, to see it presented in that way, it just really drove home the point that our nutrition is so much deeper than just the big macros. But yet, if we don't even understand what the big macros are, we, we're not understanding, you know, the whole nutritional picture, if you will. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's a way, you know, that could be a whole nother discussion, but it's a way to um, change the way that you kind of meal plan and think about, you know, ultimately I, my work with patients and clients, I think about how can we focus on variety and focusing on different ways to hit different kind of, I guess, markers of your diet. And sometimes, you know, calories are the most common thing that people think about, but there's so much more to, we all know calories are not created equal. Um, not that they're good or bad, but it's ultimately like, what are your goals? And that can change over time, focusing on, I want to get more of X, Y, Z, um, and that was kind of my intention behind the presentation. 
Well, it was spectacular and we are so excited to talk to you today. So before we kind of dive into the conversation, I would love to um, just give you the floor to kind of introduce yourself to our listeners and watchers that maybe um, don't know you. This is the first time meeting you. Yeah, so my name is Sam. Um, I'm a registered dietitian. I've been a dietitian for almost three years. It'll be three years in March of this year. Um, I kind of got into the area of wine to study nutrition um, with kind of a passion for kind of culinary, but also like I had a huge like science background. I wasn't sure kind of did I want to go into become a doctor or a pharmacist. And so I kind of felt that those two things meshed really well. Um, and then working in kind of how I got into bariatrics, it was very, very strange. I know um, a lot of other dietitians kind of will say the same thing. You kind of just fall into it and you either hundred percent love it or you don't love it. And so I feel like I'm lucky, the lucky one who fell into it and really loved it. Um, I worked in home health for about three months before um, I really, I didn't really like it. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to leave without knowing about a job. And I ended up finding this job, applied for it. And I ended up staying with that clinic for about two years. Um, and then I've kind of hopped around it. Now my professional job, I work in uh, cardiology. So a little bit different in my day job, but I am on Instagram um, providing a lot of free content to this community. Honestly, for other dietitians, I get messages all the time. Like, you know, you've really helped me become a better dietitian in terms of, you know, learning more about the insights of bariatrics. So that's kind of what I do day to day. Um, I am a single pet dad, um, dog dad. Um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. I love that you are very, I am also a pet mom. So, and Nat is a pet mom. Oh yeah. That like warms our heart. Cause that is, you know, that's like peak yeah. life right there. When you get to say that you are, a, it is. Awesome. All right, my friends. Well, so today's conversation, we kind of got some big questions that we want to tackle. We want to know what are macros? What do they do? And what is their purpose? Um, why do we need to focus on them, especially in our bariatric lives, right? We know that no, like food is not bad, food is not contraband, but are there some good versus some better sources or ways to kind of hit our macro goals? And then we really want to kind of dive into our bariatric goals. We get these, these questions all the time from members of our community. Do our macro goals need to change over time? And then what should our macro levels be? right? Because there's different stages of our bariatric journey. Some surgeons give the numbers, others don't. We know that people in our community want to pull their hair out because it can just be like this like dystopian landscape when you kind of get, get into it. Um, and then tracking. We want to talk a little bit about tracking. So we're going to cover a lot. I think we just dive in. Great. Let's do it. Do it. Okay, my friends. First question, what are macros? All right, so macronutrients um, are, they're actually what kind of calories, calories make them up. So when you look at a nutrition facts, like, well, you look at the calories per whatever the serving is, and those calories are made up of those different macronutrients because each macronutrient has a certain amount of calories per unit or gram. So the three kind of macronutrients that, are, that we focus on essentially that give us energy are gonna be carbohydrates, uh, protein, and fat. And alcohol also is um, kind of calorie containing, even though we kind of call it a non-essential nutrient as we don't need um, that really for human function. There's really no benefit. So carbohydrates, um, you'd find those in foods such as fruits, starches, grains, dairy products. Um, carbohydrates include things like your sugars, more complex carbohydrates, um, 
And then when we think about our fats, we're thinking about those are the most calorically dense, meaning they have about nine calories for every gram. So that's why for a smaller portion, you could have equal amount of total calories to a larger portion of like vegetables or fruit. You're going to find those in a variety of different sources. Um, you'll find that in oils, butters, dairy products, um, nuts and seeds, you know, avocado is actually a fruit. And then we're thinking about protein. Uh, protein is like carbohydrates has about four grams of fat per, sorry, four, four calories per gram. Um, and you're going to find that in animal sources, such as like meat based proteins, you'll find it in seafood. And then like I've talked about at the renew event, a lot about plant-based proteins. And I talked at, uh, the symposium that, uh, Kristen bariatric meal prep, meal prep put on, um, she, um, I talked about how you can get that protein from things like beans, lentils, you know, plant-based protein sources like soy. Um, and when we're looking at kind of that composition, we'll talk more about those numbers, but I'm a big proponent of having kind of a balance of all those different nutrients because of how we digest them, how they affect, you know, our satiety and our blood sugar, all that, you know, we kind of want things to be in concert and obviously kind of getting to that point, usually for many patients isn't until they get further out from bariatric surgery when they have a relative capacity to eat enough where they can have all those different components. So it's definitely an ever evolving um, kind of plate, if you will. That's kind of what the one thing that I took away from Renew that shocked me was like the complete plate method. When you put that up on the screen with a graphic of what it should look like, I was blown away because I'm still even almost two years out, I'm still just big chunk of protein and I'm good and keep it moving. And, you know, I kind of look into that as, you know, Sarah's been on me about that lately, just about I need to, you know, evolve my plate a little better. But then whenever you put the graphic up there, she's kind of nudging me like, see, and it just, but, you know, it sounds funny, but I legitimately was just like, oh, okay. Like I never even thought about it. Cause I'm like, well, if I eat anything else and I'm going to be too full for the, the rest of the meat and the things that like, I'm doing good. Cause I'm getting my protein in. Like, I just was so like laser focused on the protein side of things that didn't even like the rest of it didn't even factor into me. Like it wasn't just that I was replacing my bad side of what would normally be like double mashed potatoes and like all the stuff I shouldn't be eating. I mm-hmm. was just like, I don't know. I can just eat protein now and just go on forever. Like it's cool. I don't need any side at all. Like I just won't eat bad. Not that I just won't eat bad sides. I just won't eat any sides. And But you're that showing me on the graphic itself really kind of unlocked that in my mind. I don't know. And that's why. a really, interesting concept because I think ultimately why a lot of people have hesitation to adding other foods, especially let's say carbohydrates, especially carbohydrates of maybe that aren't going to be, let's say vegetables or fruit, they get a little bit of anxiety because ultimately the healthcare professionals who in their clinic have reinforced so heavily on protein that that's really all patients really seem to know about. And I think the other thing is, you know, I'm, when people have bariatric surgery, that doesn't necessarily mean that just because you've had a successful weight loss that you have an extensive knowledge about nutrition. And obviously that's why I'm here and exist. And so I think what happens is, yeah, you can lose all this weight, but it's like, I'm not really still sure how to navigate all of this. But at the same time, I don't blame people for feeling like hesitant to like, well, I'm just going to fill up my plate with a lot of protein and just focus on that because that's really all I've gotten education on. I think and I've it's been told also, in the media that like carbohydrates are bad or I shouldn't be having them or they're the food that I felt like I overate before, you know? Yeah. 
I think that's also interesting too, because I don't think people know that macros are proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. I had a lot of people think that the bariatric uh, macros are like protein, water, and vitamins, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is understandable because those are the three things that we talk about the most. Um, And so I think it's also been really interesting for me also to be like, oh yeah, I should put things like mushrooms and, um, you know, maybe some sweet potatoes or something else on my plate because those have those other nutrients that I need. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think our community doesn't really think about it that way. And I think, you know, later we're going to talk about the whole concept of tracking, but I do think in some essence, using the plate model that we, a lot of the dietitians promote in a way is a very subtle and kind of like gentle way of tracking, if you will. Um, You know, a lot of dietitians will say, you know, if you set up your plate in this way, the rest of it will kind of work itself out. Ultimately, the bariatric plate method, like usually the the larger goal, if you're using that kind of half your plate protein, roughly about 30% of your plate, your non-searchy vegetables, and then about 20% would be more of those carbohydrate containing foods. That is in turn going to put an emphasis on protein fiber and then getting in those healthy carbs. But ultimately, how you set up your plate could be in alignment with your goals. Like, let's say you're more active as you get further out from weight loss surgery, your relative goals for carbohydrates might look greater because that's the preferred energy source. So your plate method might have to be adapted where you're putting a little bit more emphasis on those kind of complex carbohydrates. And maybe you're pulling down your protein a little bit and pulling down maybe Um, you know, how much fiber you can take in before like a pre-exercise meal. So in all reality, how you set up your plate could literally look different throughout the entire day, depending on like your activity level and what you're doing and where you are post-op. So I think that's probably where it gets overwhelming is it's not this like copy paste the rest of your life. It's ever evolving. And I think a lot of us go into bariatric surgery thinking, oh, okay, food will be copy paste for me. And it absolutely is not. And I think the other layer that that scares people a little bit is that that plate method is, is perfect. I can look at a plate and I can kind of guess those percentages, but really the percentages equate to a weight, right? So mm-hmm. it's also like, okay, well, but I do need to measure my food a little bit because I don't know what, you know, what 30% equates to in grams for this specific type of, of carbohydrate. So when you start going mm-hmm. down that, you're, you just kind of like, you just get overwhelmed and you've been overwhelmed with food your entire life. And you get on the other side of bariatric surgery and you get to the point where I can like eat, you know, solid food again. And just those same old feelings of overwhelmed and not having the education comes back and they just kind of flood your life. And pretty soon you're just to that point where you're just like, Oh God, you know, screw it, whatever. Like, I'm never going to figure this out. I just, I can't. And that limiting mindset, that kind of limiting belief about our own intelligence can really hinder a lot of us. That's why we see the regain rate at 50%. It's because this is just Mm -hmm. so overwhelming. Um, But the point of this conversation is to kind of bring the temperature down and to say, okay, it's okay to be overwhelmed. Let's chunk our understanding of what macros are, these little bite-sized pieces at a time so that we can Mm -hmm. digest the information and we can can start using it. You know, and the, the question that popped into my head when Jason was talking about his protein first, you know, method, why is that bad? Why is it bad to just be focusing on, on protein, right? Because the other question that we want to know is what are the roles of these different macros? Why do we need them? Why do we need the different macros every day? 
Mm -hmm. So why protein is put at an emphasis in the very, very beginning is when your body is in a very, very low calorie state, like bariatric surgery. Now, you know, everyone's capacity is going to look different. And that's kind of why it's really hard for surgical offices to really give you like calorie goals, because in my opinion, I found in the beginning, there's really no way that anyone is like out eating their restriction relative to what their maintenance calories are. And I find that what can happen is if you gave someone a calorie goal, they felt like it was unattainable. I never would want someone to go beyond their physical cues and aim and try to eat to a goal that was beyond what they physically felt comfortable with. And at the same time, I also don't want to say that there's a certain calorie goal and you ate over that, that you overate, because we do know that we can give someone a caloric goal every day, but in all reality, that number can change day to day by slight amounts. So I don't necessarily think it's accurate, nor do I even really think that from like a lifestyle perspective, if I put myself in the shoes of a bariatric patient, I don't necessarily know that calorie counting for majority of people really helps them. And I don't really even think that, you know, it's really necessary. I mean, I don't know your guys' personal stories, but I don't necessarily think that, um, I mean, I guess maybe I can open the floor to you guys. Did you guys kind of calorie track at any point in those first, like, let's say six, six months to a year? I didn't. I focused on protein and water. That was my uh, instructions from my surgeon. And I would have to say all of you have been very successful up until this point. And I think at some point you have to consider like the quality of life. And so I think I take more of like a gentle approach to macros in tracking where it's like, here is the kind of how you break it down. But let's realize that it doesn't have to be this kind of like bro science of like macros all the time in tracking, because we do know that a lot of patients pre-bariatric surgery have um, some kind of predisposition to disordered eating and, or they had a clinical eating disorder before bariatric surgery. So, you know, obviously I would take that into account working with a personal patient or client, what um, method will work best for them. And obviously as a disclaimer, you know, this does not direct medical or nutrition advice, but I think that's always important to, you know, work with someone if you're going to be, um, and that it's informed to what type of, of care you need. Yeah. Well, I know like for myself, like I wasn't, it, it was, it's not that any of the tracking or any of that is triggering for myself personally. The issue mm -hmm. with me is, is I just never did it before ever. So I've got 44 mm -hmm. years of never caring about it. So thinking I'm going to be this master tracker wizard and be on top of all my macros post-op, even two years post-op is, is laughable because I followed the little paper I got in my bariatric Bible after I, you know, had my surgery to a point, but I legitimately was just like, I'm just going to eat protein. I want to, like Nat said, I'm a protein, water, vitamins, like I'm going to do my thing, make sure I'm yeah. good. And then as I got, you know, further down the line and could eat more, I started realizing like now at the point, I'm like, I should probably start tracking what's going on because not necessarily that like there's a lot of regain going on, but I'm not, I lost, you know, a, a, a lot of weight to the point. And then at this point now where I'm supposed to be at maintenance, I'm kind of fluctuating and there are some things like there's some bloating mm -hmm. and I don't really like, you know, there's just some, some trouble areas that I'm not as happy with as I know I could be if I was to really break it down, like start really looking at the science of it, breaking it down, tracking it. But that's so, like I say, I don't have the, the, the triggering background of having tracking be that for me. So that, like you said, it's not going to work for everybody the same way, but 
the way I'm looking at it now, I never really worried about it until probably the last month or so I've been thinking that it may be something I should look into. Yeah. And I think with tracking, you know, there's a time and a place for it and it might look different for everybody. And also tracking might look different for you at every point in your bariatric journey. And sometimes I'm like a big proponent of just like temporary tracking. Like if you're feeling like you're experiencing, like, for example, if I have a patient um, come back at like six months when I was in the bariatric clinic and they were experiencing some stalling, I would first say it's most likely probably just a normal stall, but let's look more into the details and actually prove to ourselves that we're kind of doing all the baseline things as best as we can. And we can kind of rule out the fact that maybe it's not anything that we're doing to maybe be contributing to that, such as maybe consuming more calories than maybe I think. Again, in six months post-op, it's very unlikely that someone is out consuming the amount of calories they need, to be honest with you. Uh, many patients, you know, they're still sub a thousand calories and everyone's metabolic rate would be well above that amount. Um, but going back to the initial question that you asked April about kind of, you know, again, when you're in that very low calorie state, protein is the emphasis because your body naturally, when you're in a pretty low calorie state, as it's trying to lose weight before it kind of starts tapping into that fat reserve, it actually went, especially in a stress state, cause you're also healing from surgery. Your muscle is very, very easily tapped into as a source for energy. And we also think about, you know, protein is, is huge because ultimately we need to get that protein from the diet. We really can't make that protein from other sources. So it's really vital. That's why we have to make sure that we're really emphasizing a lot of those complete quality proteins as well, because some of those, what we call building blocks of protein, they can become conditionally essential, meaning we can't make them from our body. We have to get them from the diet. So th those are kind of the reasons with healing and with the very low calorie intake, um, the body could start losing muscle tissue. And unfortunately that just is gonna happen even if we meet our protein goals because we're still in a pretty low calorie amount, but we can kind of ameliorate as much of that protein loss as we can. Okay, wait a minute. I think I just like had a breakthrough moment here in my understanding of what this is. So you're telling me that the reason that we have to be so protein heavy in the beginning of our surgery is because if we don't hit those goals, our body, it still needs the energy. And if it doesn't mm -hmm. have it from what we're taking in and we are not giving it enough protein, it will use our muscle as energy. It will literally eat our muscle for the energy to live our lives. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because we have to think about protein is more than just muscle. It is, you know, um, hormones, it is different neurotransmitters, it's different functional parts of our body, other chemicals, enzymes, all these things. So it's thinking, okay, if I can't get protein from the diet, my muscle is a pretty big reservoir of amino acids. Let's just tap into that. And I'm not saying, and here's the thing, one thing I learned through taking, you know, classes in metabolism, all of these things are happening in concert. It's not as if like, you're either in fat burning mode or you're not, or you're taking muscle and you're not burning fat. These are all happening. It's just the relative gravity of some of these are more prevalent than others. You know, it's okay, like the whole concept of like insulin's action does not mean that the anti-hormone like glucagon is not present at all in your body. It's just one of those bodily processes is more prevalent in that particular moment, but it's so all happening in concert. So why does our bodies then, so if our, if our goal is to, to lose fat, right? So if, mm -hmm. so I've had bariatric surgery, I'm trying to hit those protein goals, I'm missing it, but my body's like, oh, I need another, I need another source. 
why is my body going to go for my muscle first before it goes for my fat reserves? Because making, so when we think about the composition of an amino acid, it has nitrogen in it, and you're not going to find nitrogen in things such as fat or carbohydrates. So it's legitimate, like basic structure is so different that than fat and carbohydrates that it's interchangeable metabolism to create those proteins is not as easy. Okay. So if you have hit your protein goals and you're in your burden, that energy, then mm-hmm. your body, instead of when it needs a little extra, it's not necessarily going to go for the muscle. It's going to go for the next thing, which would be like a fat or a carb, right? Yeah. And when we're thinking about like eat the function of each, each of these different things, typically your body's preferred fuel source is carbohydrates. So when we think about your, usually the brain, the liver, your kidneys really like to use carbohydrates. Um, and not to say that we can't use protein, but it's really not efficient in terms of how we break it down into metabolism. It's a lot more like work for our body as opposed to carbohydrates, the process of like the Krebs cycle and all that stuff. It's just a more efficient fuel source. So when you look at like the acceptable macronutrient distribution ranges for what they recommend for just general human life, typically 45 to 65% of your total calories, again, this is maybe not bariatric specific, would be recommended to come from carbohydrates, 10 to 35% would be from protein, and then a range of 20 to 35% from fat. Um, So when we think about typically what happens when your carbohydrate goes really low, the fat stores are metabolized into ketone bodies. Um, and those are a, kind of a secondary fuel source that your brain can use, um, for, for energy, but it's first preferred source is glucose, which is okay. carbs. And that's why it's important that we do consume carbohydrates because parts of our body are craving that energy source. So really mm-hmm. what you're telling me are these macronutrients are kind of like different levels of gas, right? Like there's mm-hmm. 92, 87, right? Like there's right. All this stuff and different parts of our bodies are going to require these different fuels to be functioning at optimum levels. Yep. So if I'm not, if I'm not hitting my macro goals, different parts of my body are really going to suffer, which is why it's not a good idea to cut out all carbohydrates because your brain needs them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why long-term, um, usually a lot of patients will say that when they start adding those kind of carbs back in, just qualitatively, they say, I just feel better. I feel like I have energy. You know, I don't feel like I'm in such like a general malaise. I think part of that could also just be from the relative energy availability. As you get further out, your portion sizes kind of slowly increase, which is normal with more calories is potentially going to come adding in things like those carbohydrates. And that's going to give you that energy. So, you know, a lot of people, for example, when they're on their pre-op liquid diet and they are on a pretty negligible to no carbohydrate diet to shrink the liver, um, because essentially carbs are stored in the liver and they want to shrink it down. A lot of people feel so bad, kind of like they're going through that kind of keto flu and they feel like such brain fog and tiredness because the body's like, oh crap. It's not that you're detoxing from sugar. It's more so like it just doesn't have its nap, its normal source of energy. And it's kind of like, oh crap. And I have to adapt to using ketone bodies, which is not its most favorite, but it can do that. I think uh, I relate to that a lot. I remember when I was able to start incorporating more like vegetables and fruits into my diet, I did feel like this sense of like elevation in my mood and my 
just overall well-being. Um, you know, pre-op, I ate in a large quantity, but I still love broccoli. I still loved my fruits and veggies. Um, and so when you go, I don't know, eight weeks kind of to almost 10 weeks mm -hmm. without getting those nutrients in, um, and have not having as many of those carbs. I just remember feeling like I was just depleted for so long. Yep. And then once I incorporated those in, I was like, oh, I can go for a longer walk and I can go and do all these things. Like I just remember instantly, like my mood was elevated. Well, and it's interesting. They look at the effects of different macronutrients on different hormones. So cortisol is a stress hormone. And we actually know that carbohydrates can help to counter and downregulate the production of cortisol. So when a lot of people are experiencing spikes of cortisol, they find that that could, cortisol can be an inhibitor to fat loss. Um, we also know when you're stressed, a lot of times people are just going to hold on to a lot of fluid, other hormones in your kidneys are kind of altered. So that's why a lot of times when dietitians like, oh, my client added, you know, carbs back into their diet. And all of a sudden they kind of see a dramatic, dramatic, like decrease in like inflammation, or they feel like their weight dropped a significant amount. A lot of times that could be related to potentially that kind of stress interaction with feeling like your cortisol levels are going to go down a little bit by adding those carbs. And why a lot of people see dramatic weight shifting with, let's say the pre-op liquid diet or going on a very kind of short-term low-carb diet is glycogen. It's the storage form of carbohydrate. You store it in your muscles and you store it in your liver. Other places too, but those are the primary sources. And it's going to hold water. So wherever that kind of glycogen is going to go, that kind of water is going to follow. Um, so that's why a lot of times on the pre-op liquid diet, people are like, well, I dropped so much weight. It's probably by virtue of a lot of water retention. And that's why when a lot of people are, let's say, carbohydrate loading for like a big race, they sometimes find that they are maybe going to experience a little bit of just general bloating or just like water retention, because wherever that stored carbohydrate is going to go, the water is going to follow. So it kind of like, like a bodybuilder, for example, when they start adding more carbs in, their muscles might literally look more full because they are fuller with fluid and glycogen versus someone who's been kind of dieting for a while. They're on very, very low carbohydrate. They're going to kind of look a little bit like flat and stringy because there's, there's no glycogen. There's, there's no storage from a carb. And as much as we say, work out and use protein for your muscle, the actual aerobic activity, um, your muscle really likes carbohydrate. So as much as we're saying, you know, load up on your protein for your workout, we also find that when people get further out and they're actually engaging in more regular activity, that carbohydrates are actually also a huge component of that kind of performance plate. So that's the difference where you see people when they like, for, for instance, a big thing that in the bariatric community that we know about is summer shredding. So when mm -hmm. people, are, when they, when they tell you that they're leaning out for that, that's why, you know, their skin wraps more tightly around that type of muscle versus somebody who's like actually bulking up and bit like bigger as far as a power lifter type goes. Yeah. A lot of times they'll do like a quote unquote, like peak week protocol from what I understand, not that I'm a bodybuilder, but you know, ultimately they'll kind of adapt their sodium and their fluid intake to really try to emphasize a more, I guess, like appearance of more of a full muscle. And so those things can, you can see visual changes. And so a lot of times when people, you know, as they get further out from bariatric surgery, they're just feeling like so tired and depleted, or they just have a look of like, just feeling um, like their muscles are weak. A lot of times it's not just like, oh, eat more protein. It could be a matter of just increasing calories and adding carbohydrates. I think there's this like 
central dogma of like carbohydrates are inherently fattening. Not really. It's really the caloric balance and ultimately any macronutrient distribution greater than what you need over a period of time from a mathematical perspective would support weight gain, but it's not one particular nutrient. Why generally people follow more carbohydrate moderate or lower fat approach is I think carbohydrates are inherently palatable. So maybe they're going to take up a higher percentage. I know you guys did a podcast with the whole, I think it was with Laura about that, the whole addictive side of food. It's not a food addiction. It's just that some foods are more hyper palatable, especially in our Westernized diet. And then when, when it comes to why a lot of times he approaches, because everyone's approach is going to look different, but generally a lower fat diet works well for people with weight loss over time. If they're in caloric restriction, because of the fact that fat calories are so dense, meaning for a small amount, for example, like nuts, you know, it's a low carb snack. A lot of people like to have them on keto or a lower carb diet, but for an ounce, which is like a quarter cup, it can have like 180 to 200 calories for only a small amount. So you have to kind of keep that in mind. If we're not really looking at portion sizes of fats, we might not even realize that we are maybe consuming a lot of calories in a very small volume. And also a lot of times, fat, especially oils, they don't give us a sense of like, oh, I'm actually eating something. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be using fat, but versus say I'm having a lean protein and high fiber veggies, you're actually going to feel the physical restriction. But we do know fat's important. You know, fat also actually does help um, slow down gastric emptying. So there is some benefit to adding fat to your diet, but we want to be mindful of the types of fat and obviously like what is the relative proportion and is it an excessive amount. Well, I, I think, think April is... looks really. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're kind of blowing our minds, Sam, because I come from, and we all do, we all come from this uh, societal world of carbs are bad, don't eat carbs. I mean, I grew up from a very young age of like eat vegetables over like a serving of popcorn, like don't eat carbs. These carbs are bad. Um, they'll make you gain a hundred pounds. Um, you know, that's what I was raised on. And so to hear you kind of say that, no, actually our muscles like carbs, that really blows my mind because I thought muscles like protein, fat likes fat and carbs are bad. Like that was in my brain. And so now I'm having to kind of reframe my entire life of thinking about how carbs interplay into my body. Well, and we yeah. didn't know anything about complex, like complex carbs wasn't a thing. Like you hear it, but you're just like, yeah, but at the end it still says carbs. So that's like saying mm-hmm. good murder. It's not the same thing. Like you can say, yeah, murder is cool. But like, this, this is good. But like this murder is okay. Cause it's a different kind of murder. Don't worry about it. But yeah. yeah, when you hear like you still attach everything, carb is carb is bad. So when somebody says complex carbs, you're like, well, this shit's hard enough. I don't need it to be any more complex than it already is. So I don't even know what that means. So you just kind of kick it out to the side. Yeah. And the benefit, and here's the thing, you know, carbohydrate, um, I guess, complexity, if you will, put it this way, um, like the types of carbs you want to use um, will vary depending on like what you're, what you're trying to achieve. And I think that's an important thing to look at is like, like we always talk about, you know, like what are your goals and then kind of work backwards. It's the same thing. So for example, 
like pre, I go back to exercise, but I think that's something that a lot of patients are trying to get more into as they get further out from surgery. So pre-exercise, you want to think about things that are going to digest a little bit more quickly. So you might want to choose a carbohydrate. Now, pending this is someone maybe who is a little bit further out and they're less likely to dump, you might want to use like a simpler carbohydrate, things that have less fiber because they're going to digest a little bit quicker and kind of get to those muscles for activity. Um, and kind of, so it, like if you're getting really close to exercise and really like soon after exercise, you really don't want to be choosing a really high fiber carbohydrate because it's just going to slow down how quickly it kind of gets to your muscles and you can repair. But let's say you're having the meal many hours after your workout or you're having a meal many, many hours before, let's say you eat breakfast and you're going to be training in the afternoon, that's fine because those are going to be nice, slow digestion by the time you're ready to work out, et cetera. So like, it's just going to shift ultimately. Um, like for example, post-workout, Natalie had mentioned, like, I didn't know that muscles use carbohydrates. We actually know that those carbohydrates spike our insulin, that hormone that kind of allows the glucose to get into our cells. We also know that insulin actually, it's, it's a hormone of growth. It's, it helps to promote like cell growth, things like that, muscle growth. And when we think about like um, why we would want to add carbs to our protein after our workout, that actually can help increase muscle protein synthesis. So it's, it's not just like slam down your protein shake. Maybe we can make a more balanced protein shake by adding like a serving of fruit or some yogurt for some healthy carbs. So we can actually, you know, actually enhance our muscle building capacity. Well, and the other thing that just absolutely blew my mind, and this is just the connection that my brain made, right? But when you were talking about carbs and, and the connection to cortisol, right? Mm -hmm. If you're saying that carbohydrates can actually lower cortisol, it's interesting to me that when I get stressed, the first thing that I crave is a carb and not mm -hmm. a good carb, right? It's like, oh my God, I just want to eat Cheetos or pizza or whatever it is. But to... When, when I heard you say that, it was like, oh my God, my body is telling me it needs something. And I just took it to the next level, right? Like I, instead of going for that like complex carb, which is really going to provide all these other, you know, macro and micronutrients, I'm going mm -hmm. for something, right? I'm, 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 I'm listening. Exactly. Right. Like I am actually listening to my body when, when I'm stressed like that, man, my body's telling me, Oh man, like, uh, uh, you need to lower your stress level. And my body knows that to lower that if carbohydrates, the right carbohydrates can help bring my stress level down. My body is telling me what I need to know. I just didn't have this knowledge and understanding about what it's actually asking me for. I just thought mm -hmm. it was me being an idiot and being like, oh, well, you just want Cheetos or pizza because, you know, you're a savage. No, no, no. My body is telling me it's needing a way to bring the carb, to bring that cortisol down and the right carbohydrates could actually help with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what really mind blowing. Like that actually <laughs> really is our whole life. Our bodies were doing the right thing, but we chose, like Sam said, that more palatable um, easier to eat option when really it's like, okay, grab an apple or grab, you know, some veggies or something. And that would do the a same sweet thing. Potato. A yeah. sweet potato. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing with that is look, I, we talk a lot about how foods are no one food is necessarily bad and we can't have them. Right. And obviously I think you have to create some sort of distance that's individualized for the person at your stages post-op. But I do find that like, 
you know, looking at the relative benefit, like asking yourself the question, like, why would it make more sense maybe, or why would I potentially feel better by choosing a complex carb? I think a lot of the times it's because of that kind of blood sugar balance. Usually, you know, a lot of dietitians talk about how, you know, again, pairing your kind of complex carb with protein is going to slow down that digestion. So you're not on this kind of like blood sugar roller coaster, as opposed to choosing more of a simple carbohydrate that has less fiber, less protein, you're just going to kind of see that spike in that blood sugar. And then you're going to see it come right down and you can kind of feel that blood sugar crash as opposed to having a more balanced meal. And, and we know that your blood sugar kind of trending is directly kind of related to how long you're going to stay full. If you're having that blood sugar go up and down really quick, you're probably not staying full and satisfied for as long. So those two things are kind of correlated, if you will. Well, I mean, and I just put this in, in and how I know I operate as a human, I can go, I can go zero to 60 in like 2.2 seconds. I'm like a McLaren F1, right? I mean, it's just like, oh my God. And when that hits, I'm just like, oh, I just want to punch walls. And like, to be fair, let's be real, right? Me going into my kitchen to make myself a sweet potato and this well-balanced meal is not going to give me that quick release. Whereas a candy bar or Cheetos or some like, or pizza or something that I already know is like, it's quick. It's going to give me that quick stress relief, but really all it's doing is delaying the inevitable. I'm not doing anything for my cortisol. I'm not doing anything for the actual physical stress that my body is experiencing. I'm just giving it that quick, you know, that quick release. But that mm -hmm. again is what this like work of weight loss surgery is. It's understanding what's actually going on in my body, learning about how I am responding to these stressors or these stressful situations. And then doing a little bit of forward thinking or planning just to know that what I do consume can really impact what I do in a, in a much more positive way because my body's telling me something is not right. And it's, it's actually calling for what it needs. I'm just not, I'm not putting the right gas in the tank, right? I'm, I'm filling the tank, mm -hmm. but I'm using 87 when I could be using 92 and my results are going to be very different in the long run for that. And I think you make a really great point. And I think it can pivot the conversation to talking a little bit about tracking I think commonly we talk about tracking in terms of like tracking calories and macros. Sometimes I just like with tracking, it could just be like, how are you doing with eating consistent meals? Like, for example, let's do context clues. Like, for example, if you felt like you had a day where you kind of just had this impulsivity to snack or you overate or you just felt like you kind of got to your meal when you were supposed to eat and you were just like ravenous. Obviously, some days you're going to be more hungry than others, but thinking like, let's look backwards oh yeah, I haven't eaten all day. Or the only thing I had this morning was like half of a protein shake that was maybe, you know, 60 calories. Like no wonder it's, you know, two in the afternoon. I haven't been very cognizant about keeping up with getting enough calories and protein that I would feel really ravenous. So it's kind of like using tracking in a more contextual sense, as opposed to like the numbers and then thinking, okay, let's try tomorrow to make sure that I'm eating a little bit more of a protein and fiber rich breakfast. And maybe I'm incorporating like a small snack. So then, and see how does that make me feel physically when I get to 2 p.m. as opposed to how I felt at 2 p.m. today. And literally write down like, what were the physical feelings you were having? What emotional feelings were you having? And do you see any difference when you modify how you structure your day leading up into that event? And I think that's a very, in my opinion, I found working with patients and clients is a more 
um, kind of healthy way of looking at tracking. And then we can remove that tracking for a while. And then if we feel like we're kind of falling back into habits that are not supportive of our goals, we can reintroduce that. I think for me, uh, that's really helpful for me to hear because I get really stuck on the, for lack of better terms, the more traditional way of tracking. Um, and that being, you know, tracking how many calories I'm eating, how many grams of protein, carbs, fats. Um, that is for me very triggering. Um, I've struggled with eating disorders in the past. And uh, part of the reason why I never wanted to track or I would try to track and then I would derail and then I would just kind of give up. Um, and that is something that, you know, what you brought up, Sam, is something that my surgeons team and I are working on is, uh, you know, some days, like you said earlier, you're going to be super hungry and that's okay. And you need to eat food to make sure that you are satisfied and full. Um, but other days I'm just not as hungry. I mean, I went out to eat last night and I was like, I want to eat more, but I am so full right now. Like I am way more full than I would be a week ago. Um, mm -hmm. and tracking those ways, like, oh, am I getting all that I physically need? Yes. Then that's good. Then you've tracked, you've you know, you've gotten what you've needed for the day. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. for me hitting those numbers specifically, like if I don't hit those numbers or if I exceed those numbers, that's when I get hard on myself. And that's when I choose not to track anymore. And then that's when I get off track. And I think the traditional diet, and thank you for sharing that, you know, that's really, you yeah. know, insightful to look at is, um, like, I think the previous dieting mentality for a lot of patients is how can I go as long as possible on like the lowest amount of calories. Like it's almost like, oh, I'm going to have my little 100 calorie breakfast so I can save those calories when I need them later. And then what ends up happening is we're not even realizing that we're just kind of going all day among our daily activities. Our brain is probably stimulated all the time. And as we've just learned that carbohydrates are the brain's preferred energy source. And then we're wondering at like 4 p.m. why we're feeling like we're having a binging moment with some of these hyper palatable quick and easy carbohydrate rich foods. And then we kind of feel bad about it when in all reality, maybe we could have developed a little bit more of a balanced eating plan for that day. And maybe we do incorporate a, a single serving of the Cheetos or, you know, the, you know, the cookies or whatever it might be. And you're able, here's my thing. I find that if you're staying more adequately well-fueled throughout the day, it allows you a little bit more clarity when you get to the moment of like, hmm, I think I actually might want to have a small dish of ice cream because you're making that decision when you're feeling maybe a little bit more well, quote unquote, nourished, as opposed to when you're making that choice on E, like you're just kind of like incoherent. You're just like, whatever, I don't really care. I'm just going to eat several servings of ice cream. And even then there's no judgment around that. But if you're trying to maybe make more quote unquote conscious choices, maybe a little bit better portion control, it's a lot easier to do that if you're staying well-fed throughout the day. Well, and I think people also need to realize too that because we hear the term calorie deficit so much and you're not going to lose anything if you're not in a caloric deficit. you got to be in this and you got to, you have to under, I mean, people need to also understand that there's a safe way to do that and there's also a not safe way to do that. And, you know, making it to four o'clock in the afternoon and only knocking down two or 300 calories is not necessarily the safest way to do that. Even though you're technically in a caloric deficit, 
you're not doing your body any favors because you're putting yourself in starvation mode, which is way different than caloric deficit. Yeah, and how I like to look at it too is how can we create a caloric deficit that like you don't notice? For example, like let's say by maybe increasing the portion of maybe vegetables a little bit at your meal, then decrease maybe the portion of maybe a little bit of carbohydrate or a little bit, take a little bit of fat down your meal kind of stays maybe the same level of like maybe size and how it makes you feel, but it could be more calorically, um, like less calorically dense. And we're not even actually realizing that we're putting ourselves in that kind of mild caloric deficit versus if you are, let's say having a hundred calorie breakfast and you skip lunch, it's very evident to yourself that you haven't eaten a lot of calories. You know what I mean? So it's kind of getting out of that extreme of like to, to be in a caloric deficit that it has to be this like very apparent thing to your body. So how can we make those kind of small shifts? And that's ultimately why when we think about the bariatric plate method, that's why the next step of your plate typically is about 30% vegetables or fruit because naturally for the portion you get, they're lower calorie foods, you know, for like a cup of raw vegetables, it could be like 35 calories as opposed to a cup of let's say a carbohydrate that has fat on it, that could be two, 300 calories, depending, you know? Well, and I'm, I'm so happy to hear you acknowledge that a lot of the struggle in, in my bariatric journey is that I was always hungry before surgery, always. And I hate being hungry. And I went a couple months after bariatric surgery where I wasn't hungry at all. And now my, my hunger signals are back. And it's really hard to say no to things when you are truly hungry in the moment, right? Head hunger is very different than, than real hunger. But when you've got both of those things going on, you are just desperate to eat anything because you want to get out of that sense of discomfort. So to come up with uh, an eating style or a plan or, or just how you're going to eat that allows you to, to have those hunger signals, but not so strong in a way that it moves you into a panic mode, right? That you can, you can get into these deficit areas safely. And like what you said, right. Without kind of really knowing it because you're still mm -hmm. satiated, you're still enjoying the foods that you want. It's, it's balanced. It includes all of these big macro and micronutrients that we need. Right. But you're just kind of, you're doing so in a way that doesn't spike that panic is, yep. is powerful. And I think that's what many of us are seeking. And we, we want to understand that. Yeah. Another tool of tracking that I think is kind of in alignment with what you're talking about is the hunger and fullness scale. And, you know, I think I've done a post on this before, but I would say it's hard to really apply that in the beginning stages because we do understand that there is a lot of absence of hunger for a lot of people. Um, and they kind of get to that sense of fullness very, very quickly. But let's say you're, you know, a year out, two years out, and you're just feeling like you're having those kind of normal hunger. And again, the key operative word normal, you know, we understand that like bariatric surgery was not to like eliminate your hunger hormones. And we know that ghrelin is produced in other parts of your body other than your stomach. Um, but that being said is leaning into the hunger and fullness scale and whatever you want to call it, you could call it 10 feeling like you're so hungry, ravenous, you could eat your hand off, or you could call that zero. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, zero or 10 being you really have like an absence of like desire for anything. Like you don't want to eat at all. The ideal situation is where you're kind of starting to eat in the middle where like you're kind of neutral. 
And that's another thing you can think about is when you kind of, maybe you're not tracking even what you're eating. You could write down what you ate. Maybe you leave the portions off that that's triggering. And you could actually look at like what time of day and like designate a number and seeing how often are you starting your meals way on either end of the spectrum, especially if you feel like you're kind of getting to your meals, like, oh my gosh, like I am like always feeling like I'm ravenous and put it in, in context. How active were you that day? What was the composition of your breakfast? And those are more like, I think, subtle and gentle ways to make modifications to how you set up your day. Um, as a, Cause here's the other thing too. We talk about the bariatric weight method. Maybe you find for you in the morning, a very, very heavy, slightly more up to carb breakfast works better for you and having, so when you get to lunch, you don't feel like you are ravenous or in general, you feel it gives you more energy at work. Like, let's look at these like non-calorie related reasons why we want to focus on like the balance of our plate. Like just by knowing like, wow, my breakfast makes me feel super satisfied, but also it gives me a lot of clarity and energy for my day. That's a great way to look at it versus like, oh, macros or calories are like a budget and we're running out of calories for the day. Like looking at it from an abundance mindset of like, what do these calories and different macronutrients do for my body? And how do I feel when I'm eating X, Y, Z way? Well, and if you, it, it, and I've always been told or, you know, whether or not it's right or not, this would be a good way to find out is if you are going to eat carb heavy, you want to do it earlier in the morning. So you have the rest of the day to burn through it you know, your body can burn through it throughout the day. Is that right? Well, my, I wouldn't say necessarily, it would be more so like when you're thinking about overnight, for example, when you're, when your body is in a quote unquote fasted state, it's obviously not having an influx of carbohydrates. And so it's thinking, okay, where can I kind of get carbs to keep my blood sugar stable, to keep me alive? Cause we don't want our blood sugars to drop. So, you know, we pull it from our liver, we pull it from our muscle, et cetera. So when you wake up and you've been fasting for for many people since their last meal, maybe like eight to 10 hours, depending. You, when you think about what your body really needs is it actually really needs carbs. So again, I understand that a lot of people love the morning coffee, but thinking about maybe I probably want to add like a serving of carbs to this just to kind of give myself a boost for my brain. Because at the end of the day, most people's jobs, especially nowadays, you know, being virtual, like you're just doing a lot of stimulation with your brain. So thinking about, yeah, protein's important because it's going to keep me full, but then, so I think of it this way, proteins, like the break to your kind of hunger and fullness. And then the carbs are kind of like the energy and the gasoline, you kind of need both. And I would also say, you know, fat also can, in some cases kind of act like a break. And so it's kind of that balancing act of like, we need the gasoline to kind of accelerate the car, but we also want to keep the protein, the fat, the fiber in there as a way to kind of keep the car from going way too fast, way too quickly. It's so interesting that you should say that because, and again, I'm so inspired or I'm just so happy to, to, to hear you acknowledge that we're going to need to track in different ways at different stages. And we need to mm -hmm. try on different methods to find the one that works best for us. That's what we're always talking about in our barrier to journey, right? We really have to be the scientists of our own life. We have to experiment. Mm -hmm. And what I have recently found is that if I, I very much love overnight oats. I love, love them. They're, they, they seem to have a nice balance, right? Of those macros, but I am so hungry after I eat overnight oats first thing in the morning. I just am, I could eat it. And then an hour later, I'm like, oh my God, I'm hungry. If I start with eggs or very protein heavy as my first meal, 
I'm fuller for longer. And then if I roll into the carbs, that gives me the boost for my afternoon. But I wouldn't have known that if I wasn't just experimenting and being curious and noticing mm-hmm. what my body was doing. And the power yep. of that is that we can have this information and know that, oh, my body's different than others as it probably is and should be, right? Like we've all got the mm-hmm. same parts, but mine are using it in some different ways. But that can also indicate that, oh, well, maybe I got something else going on. Like if, if I'm noticing yep. those things, but if I wasn't noticing, if I wasn't tracking, I just wouldn't be aware of it. And the reason why I love using that with with patients and clients is because it's so individualized and like you feel how you feel and there's no sense of comparison. Like you're not comparing like, oh, this person had this many calories for breakfast and they could barely finish it. And I ate the whole thing and still felt like maybe I could eat a little bit more versus like, you're just experiencing your feelings and then making changes based on how you physically feel. And there's no like feeling of like, oh, I'm doing something wrong. And I think that's another reason why a lot of people don't like to track because maybe they know someone who is trying to eat a similar calorie goal, or they were at the same time post-op and they're a similar size to them. So they feel like, why am I eating differently than Sally Joe or Bob? Like, yes. I, I think that's what feeds into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so interesting, April, because I'm the opposite of you. I cannot do eggs and meat in the morning at all. Like, and that was opposite from pre-op. I mean, I, it was eggs every single morning. And now I have eggs for lunch because I can't, I can't physically handle eggs early in the morning. And that was something that I was trying to force myself to do post-op mm-hmm. uh, was like, no, eggs are good for you. You have to eat them in the morning. I don't know why I thought that, <laughs> but that was the rule that I imposed on myself. And now mm-hmm. I eat oatmeal or overnight oats in the morning. Um, I'll add some protein powder in. So I'm still getting some protein uh, in there, but mm-hmm. you know, I have more of a uh, carb-based breakfast and I'm finding that that gives me that energy in the morning. And then by lunchtime, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for eggs or lunch meat or chicken. Um, so it is interesting to have two bariatric patients on the same journey, quote unquote, but I mm-hmm. am very different from April and that's, um, that's okay. It's okay to experiment and, and figure those things out. Yeah. Because we've both been successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So again, like we cannot compare our journeys. We can learn from one another. We can, we can educate ourselves. We can take in this, this learning and this like profound understanding of, of what macronutrients are and use it to use it as a, a true tool for the first time, probably ever in our lives. Right. It finally debunks the plate police that are out there like, well, I can't believe you can eat all that. And you, oh my God, I could never possibly take down two whole eggs. Oh, how dare you? That was my thing. I could never eat two eggs. And I'm like, (laughs) well, good for you. I'm living my yolk life right now, loving my eggs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yolk life. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's like, I think then probably... And, and we all know this, especially you guys, that that's coming from a sense of insecurity. They're just projecting that. But totally. again, I think it reinforces this idea of like, you know, you're, again, like the, the contest is not to eat the, the smallest amount of food for the longest period of time. And that's who's to say that that person is actually happy with the fact that they are 
eating one hard boiled egg. Maybe you don't even know who this person is and where they are post-op. Maybe they don't know where you are and where you are post-op. And who yeah. knows if they're eating a whole egg and they're just kind of quote unquote lying to people to tell them that they actually feel satisfied when in all reality, maybe they're like, oh, I could be eating another portion, but I just, I can't. I mean, thus why a lot of people get thrown into those disordered eating habits because maybe they were told their portions have to stay under a certain volume. I mean, yeah. that's why I, on my page, I think I try to share more about like, this is how you could attain this maybe number of amount of protein, but you'll see that every picture, there's a different volume and shape of how things look. And inherently when people say, oh, you shouldn't be eating more than eight to whatever amount of ounces. If you're measuring that on volume, that's going to look different based on the foods that you're choosing. It's also going to look different depending on the foods you choose if you go off of weight. So that's why I think long-term the plate method and looking for balance is probably the most simple way to track that a lot of people can use because it doesn't, it isn't skewed by all these different metrics. Yeah. I think um, you do that very well, Sam, on Instagram. And I think that's why so many people always share your, your posts is you really do show such a range of what our lives, what our plates can look like every single day. Um, and you do a really good job too of showing the more whole foods versus you're probably going to have some Oikos yogurt and a protein shake that day. You know, it, um, I think it's helpful for us as bariatric patients to know that life is fluid. We say this all the time on the podcast. You're not going to be eating whole foods every single day. That's just not feasible in the world that we live in. Um, but I think it is helpful for us to see what that looks like day to day. And I think you do a really good job of that. Yeah. Oh. And I think that kind of goes into what you guys are talking, going to be talking about the retreat is kind of getting out of that all or nothing mindset of like, if I'm not eating whole foods all the time, then I just shouldn't do it because I can't be perfect versus thinking like, mm, I'm probably eating a whole lot more fruits and vegetables and whole grains than I probably ever had in my whole entire life. So I'm going to like be kind to myself and recognize that eating a serving of fruits and vegetables is better. And if it's only just one a day is better than having none. And yes. maybe I'm doing that on a more consistent basis than I ever was. Maybe it was, I had a fruit or vegetable one day a week and then for six days straight, I didn't have any, you know what I mean? So really giving yourself that, that grace of like, okay. And that is like a real life application of kind of getting yourself out of that all or nothing mindset. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was, I was huge on fruit and stuff before I had surgery, but post-op, I was one of those people that as soon as I figured out the carbs and the sugar, the natural sugar stuff and fruit, I was like, no, never like stay away from it. I can't possibly because, oh my God, I'm gonna, <laughs> like, I'm the, I'm the dumbass that's sitting over here going, yeah, I'm going to gain all my weight back. Cause I ate fruit. Yeah. Don't eat that orange. You're going to gain, you know, 190 pounds back. Like, I, you know, I, it, it was completely irrational of me at the beginning because I'm like, I will never touch a banana. Like, no way. Do you know how many mm -hmm. carbs are in a banana? Like, oh. so it's it's good to hear, you know, knowing that those things can come back around now that my lunacy is over, that I've kind of come back into a normal mind state. I, uh, yeah, yeah, there was lots of stuff I was afraid of post-op. I wasn't touching anything. I, I was just going to eat my little serving of my little quarter size serving of meat and just live my life. Well, and the, 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 the tricky thing about this is that a banana is more than natural sugars and carbs. 
a banana is those tiny, you know, micronutrients. It's, it's the vitamins and the minerals and the potassium and the, all these other things that go into that. And again, that can be the overwhelming part because, you know, a, a banana is not just a banana. It is, you know, 105 different things that, that go into, you know, whole nutrition for us, but it's having a better understanding of what those things are doing and why your body needs them and what your body's going to do with that, right? It's, it's going to utilize mm-hmm. the, those carbs. It's going to utilize that natural sugar. It's going to utilize that potassium for a lot of different other things and yep. they can fit in our diet. And really, I think what I'm getting from what you're saying, April, and I really, this just resonated with me is like, so often maybe we're making our nutrition choices based off of the goal of weight loss or maybe weight maintenance, but what if maybe we're making our nutrition goals on more than just the concept of like weight? Like what if it's based off of how we feel, how we perform? Um, how do we enjoy this? Are we trying to maybe just incorporate more variety or we're trying to get more fiber? Um, because I, I think it's a meme or just people like say it all the time on Instagram. It's like your whole life is not meant to be working and trying to lose weight. <laughs> Yes. Like your life yeah. is more than weight loss and, and working and making money. Yeah, I struggle so much with iron. Um, I always have my iron levels. Um, my whole life used to be like nearly zero. Same with my vitamin D. Um, and I used to think red meat was horrible for you. I thought I shouldn't eat red meat. I can't eat red meat. And it's like, okay, no, but I, I need iron. So I'm going yep. to eat red meat or other vegetables that have iron in them. And when I do stick to that, when you know it, I feel better because I'm getting that micronutrient, that thing that I need. Um, and I think yep. that's something that as I'm going into my second year of bariatric surgery, I'm realizing that food is fuel. Yes. But it's also a way for us to also medicate ourselves in the sense that they are our vitamins. They are, you know, important for other reasons than just energy, um, which I think we do get really hung up on, which, yes, we need energy. We need to be getting um, our energy from good foods. But it's also the fact that, like, when I eat some broccoli and maybe some spinach, like that's also me taking my vitamins in a sense, like I'm medicating myself and keeping myself well um, and making myself feel better. And I think that's something Mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily think we've never thought about before um, and maybe still struggle to realize. But as I'm farther away from my surgery date, I'm realizing, oh, food is fuel and it's also a way for me to feel better. Food was the cause and food is the cure. It truly was right. Food is, was the cause of our obesity in a lot of different ways, right? Probably the largest, but food can also be the cure for our chronic disease of obesity. And it's interesting that the, that one single thing can, can do both of them, but that is the human existence. Well, and and the linking point would be the individual. And I think a lot of it comes down to the individual's change in the way they, they think about it, their mindset. Yes. Yeah. Well, and also you can, you know, you think about it, like what Natalie was saying with, in, with your complete diet, the amount of vitamins you're taking in, you don't have to 
like your supplement shouldn't have to do all the heavy lifting. So just because you take your vitamins every day, don't count on your vitamins to solely do all of the, you know, to metabolically change you when your Mm -hmm. diet can do the majority of the heavy lifting. And you can, that's a supplemental vitamin you're taking that's just supposed to help boost those things that you're already taking in with your diet. Well, we, mm-hmm. we talked to Kristen Willard about this. Oh, it might, it might've been like almost a year ago at this point, because we get questions all the time about supplements. Right. And the biggest takeaway from that conversation with her, and it still lives on our, uh, on our IGTV, if you guys are interested in watching it, is that a supplement is supposed to, it's called a supplement because it's an addition to what you're already doing. But if you're not already getting in those nutrients in the foods that you're eating, that supplement is not going to cover. It's not going to, you can't swap them. You've got to do the food and the supplement to hit those goals. And especially as bariatric patients, because we physically cannot consume the amount now that our bodies require, which is why we have to do the food and the supplement. That's why we can never stop taking our vitamins. We have mm-hmm. to eat the, the nutritious food and we have to supplement so that we're getting 100%. It's like, I wish I could just take just butter fiber every day and not have to eat a vegetable, but it doesn't work that way. Aren't we all though? I mean, <laughs> oh, Kristen. Oh, oh, <laughs> that, I tell you. Oh my God. Sam, uh, well, you've thoroughly broken my mind. Uh, I think everybody is feeling the same way here. Is there, what's there one thing about macros that you wish every bariatric patient to know? Yeah. So if we go back to that initial kind of statement I was making, we think about calories, those are comprised of the macronutrients. So it's your fat, your protein, and your carbohydrates. Ultimately, when those numbers, if you're, if you're curious about the numbers, the, the, they're equated, they're based off of so many factors. They're based off of your age, you know, your gender, your activity level. In an acute setting, if you have an injury, you have an illness, um, your lifestyle, um, your body composition, there's so many things that factor into how many calories you need, but also the distribution of what your macro should look like. And so as much as we really talk about, you know, everyone's going to be different, that that's why, because we all ultimately are different people. We have different lifestyles. We have different genders. We have different ages. We have different diseases or lack of diseases. And so I think when we say that people don't really resonate, like, is that a bunch of like hoopla? You know, why can't we all eat the same? Like we truly are very different. And again, we're still learning so much about nutrition and, and all this over time. Um, probably there'll still be a lot that they're even after we we don't exist on this planet that we're still going to be learning about. Um, But I think it's really important to recognize that just because you have bariatric surgery and you're told that you are supposed to aim for 68 grams of protein a day, that's not like destitute. Like as time goes along, your macronutrient um, intake and your calorie intake and all that, it's going to change. It's usually for most patients, it, it should increase, but it's also going to look different day to day and season and season. And I'm sure, you know, each of you are kind of at like a different stage post-op. I know April, you, and then Jason, and now in terms of who's the furthest out. And I'm sure all of you can attest to the fact that you're always learning and you're always just kind of modifying and seeing like what works best. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. And we're not supposed to just be like being successful after weight loss surgery with quote unquote macros and nutrition is not just being like, who can be the most consistent with just hitting 60 to 80 grams of protein? 
because again, you guys are immersing yourself in social situations. And like, we also have to realize that success can look like I can make quote unquote nutritious choices and still be able to be out in social settings. Like that is a huge quote unquote, in my opinion, NSV, because so often I know a lot of patients that struggle with like how to integrate being kind of on track and then feeling like the second they're out in social situations, they feel extraordinarily out of control. And so how can we kind of get in that kind of nice straddling position of like, yeah, we know how to stay on track throughout the week, but when we go out, we have our tips and tricks. And I think, again, the plate model, I always go back to that as a great way to kind of navigate where do certain foods go on our plate. And maybe, you know what, the carbohydrate food and that small portion at when you're out at the social event is that super fun food that you normally don't have. But then you are putting an emphasis on protein and a vegetable. You know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe someday, maybe sometimes when you go out socially, that wasn't the emphasis at all. Like just because you had one event where it wasn't aligned to your bariatric goals does not mean that maybe the breakfast you had earlier that day wasn't something that puts you one step forward to making quote unquote more nutritious choices. Like it's again, getting out of that all or nothing mindset. There is so much to learn along this journey, but we are so thankful to have friends like you in our corner to help us with that, with that education and to guide us in a way that is safe and accessible and, and meaningful for us. We, we, we're, we're so aligned uh, in our thinking about how you choose to, to work with patients and how you, how you choose to help this community. And we're just, we're very thankful for all of your insights because it's a lot. you got a lot. you got a lot going on up here. <laughs> No, sometimes I'm like, all right, calm down. <laughs> Same, <laughs> honestly. Like I overthink it. I'm like, okay. Well, oh, I appreciate okay. you guys for having me on and allowing me the space to kind of share this. I, I think about, um, it's funny when I, it's like almost like a full circle moment because I started on like social media, maybe like uh, it was December, 2020. So like maybe a little bit over a year ago, which is kind of crazy to think about. And I remember kind of like finding your page and remember, you know, you doing lives with like Kristen and stuff like that. And I just thought it was so awesome, like what you guys were doing, but then also seeing like how it was kind of a symbiotic relationship of these dietitians, like sharing and really realizing they kind of broke beyond the barriers of what they felt like they could traditionally do in their clinics. And that's kind of where I'm at, the precipice to feeling like, there was a lot of kind of things that I felt like were silenced having to work in a more sterile clinic and realizing that like, there is such a amazing group of individuals who really need this information. And, you know, to know that I can provide a majority of that from a free perspective and that's super impactful. I mean, I always say like every day, just do like one good deed that you can do for society. And that's kind of what I feel like I do when I'm on social media, or at least try to do. Uh, mission yeah. accomplished. <laughs> yeah, we're here to tell you that you're doing it and we just need you to keep doing it. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Well, and we're really excited. We're going to see you, like, we're going to get to hug you here in a few short months, right? Because we're both going to uh, the spring bariatric society retreat. We are. I'm very excited. So I'll be um, speaking kind of similar topic to what we spoke on today. Um, the kind of official title, not that I know the exact name, but it's kind of beyond protein. So we know we talked about macros, but we will talk more specifically, or I will be about kind of the specifics of carbohydrates and fat, because I think protein gets a huge like hit, which is important. But I think, you know, especially for patients who are a little bit further out from bariatric surgery, 
like how do we navigate the kind of world of like what types of fats should we be choosing and what types of you know carbohydrates and the different types of fiber and so leaning a little bit into that and kind of again what's the function in the body how does it relate to our intake after bariatric surgery what are the, maybe some recommendations for goals that we should be hitting and then i know you guys are going to be talking kind of about um, all or nothing mindset from my knowledge mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think our, our topics are going to beautifully complement each other, right? Because you're really getting to the nitty gritty of why we do have to go beyond protein, which is like a per, like, this is like a perfect little trailer for your, for, for your talk at, at bariatric society. And yeah. And we will be talking about that, that all or nothing. How do we, how do we break out of that? Because it is not beneficial for us as we're, as we're learning to live this new bariatric life. I mean, the, the speaker lineup is going to be straight fire, you guys. If you have not purchased your ticket yet, we highly recommend you do so. I mean, the, there's a lot of amazing things that, that happen uh, at these types of events. But, you know, the, the Bariatric Society and Advent Health, you know, the, it's patient first, right? It's patients that are really putting this event on. They are curating the people who are providing information. And a lot of the speakers are bariatric patients themselves like us, or they have been entrenched in the bariatric world. They are specialists in, in, that, in that area. So it's just a wonderful opportunity to really get information that is tailored to our needs. And on top of that, you get to like actually hang out and hug and be around the people that you've probably followed on Instagram and social media for a very long time. And you guys, it's at the Dolphin Resort at Walt Disney World. So it's like a vacation, right? This is a legit vacation with your mm-hmm. friends where you get to learn some stuff and then you get to go have some fun. I mean, it's like the best of both worlds, really. Catch me at the pool all the right. time. <laughs> well, and I will say, if you've never been to an event like this, um, you know, I was talking to um, Danielle who put on the Renew event in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the biggest part of why that weekend, it was almost like I had like a come down or hangover from it was like, it was so great to share my expertise in, but I think the bigger thing was just like meeting all of you in person, obviously meeting a lot of people I had never met before, but also connecting with people that I had never, didn't even know existed. And obviously selfishly, it feels good to hear from people like that what I'm sharing is making an impact, but also just like, hearing other people's stories and just being able to be like a fly on the wall and sit there and like watch everyone go through that emotional experience with their, you know, that Maddie put on and stuff like that. Um, And so, I mean, just coming from a professional who works with individuals who have had weight loss surgery to get to, to meet all of you guys, I can only imagine for being a part of a community that sometimes can be highly ostracized to be able to be embraced by so many people that you don't even know or that you've even wanted to meet, I think can be so impactful. Yeah, there's, there's something about being in a room full of, you know, 80 people here initially, like being in a room with 80 plus people and they kind of, you know, freeze up a little bit. But this is different being in a room full of 80 people that get you without explanation. You just, you fit in, you're welcomed, you're supported, you're appreciated. You don't have to explain why your plate looks the way it looks. You don't have to explain why you're drinking enough water to fill a pool or why you're going to the bathroom so many times because you drank so much water you could fill a pool. Like you just, people just understand. You just, it, it's just different when you're around people that get. Yeah, we were all like the, maybe the not so cool kids 
uh, growing up and now we all get to be the cool kids together. And it's a really amazing feeling. Um, so if you are planning or maybe you're on the fence about coming, uh, we hope you'll, you'll lean towards going uh, because we are here for you. Uh, mm-hmm. We're here to help you feel safe. Um, I know Sam, April, Jason, myself, we're all going to be there with open arms and you can just come as you are, whether you're pre-op, thinking about surgery, anything. Um, not only is this going to be an incredible education event, um, but it's going to be those, those lasting connections where, you know, if you do get your surgery date, there'll be a hundred people that are DMing you excited for you to get your, your surgery date. Um, and, and all of those little wins thereafter. So, um, yeah, I hope, I hope that if you're listening and you're on the fence that, that we can help reel you in a little bit, come on over the water. And there's a nice variety of different topics as well. You know, I know today we talked a lot about mindset nutrition, but there's workouts. So if you go to the bariatric society's like Instagram page, um, I think it's just at bariatric society, they throughout the last two, three weeks, they've been releasing these speakers. I think they should all be released by now, if not close to all of them. And there is nice carousels of the speakers, um, who they are personally, professionally, and then what their topic is. So you can obviously get a little bit of a better idea to see if there is um, an individual or a couple of people that you're excited to see. I, I mean, I don't think there's really anyone on the speaker panel that I wouldn't be excited to listen to and get to meet. Um, yeah. And that being said, you know, we are offered, um, we're offered kind of support codes. Um, so unfortunately, these would not be like a discount to you. But if you are interested in supporting either myself or Barry Nation as a collective, you can use our codes to just kind of let Advent Health and Bariatric Society know who you're most excited to be seeing. Um, so my code is BOYRD um, when you go to their checkout. And then what is, are you guys just Barry Nation? What is your? Yep. Ours is Barry Nation. Easy. Easy. Yep. And, and I'm so appreciative that they did that. I mean, the, the ticket price is insanely low for what you get. At You're gonna retreat. Get, yeah. Oh my God. It's just, it's nuts. Um, and, and when, when you use the code at checkout, you're, you're letting the bariatric society and Advent health know who you're really excited to interact with, right? Like we know that you're going to be there for a lot of different people, but if there's one group, one person that you're like, nope, this is who I absolutely am not going to miss use their, use their code. And it literally tells, tells them like, oh no, this is like, this is why people are coming. It's just a way for you to, to continue to support the people who've been supporting you along your journey in in a meaningful way. And, you know, it can help ensure that they're there for future events as well. So, you know, I mean, it's not a bad thing. And if you are concerned about, you know, pricing, they do offer once you are uh, bought your ticket, there is, I think, a Facebook group where you can connect with people in terms of lodging. So yes. if you are, let's say either you, and, it, and it's also kind of a shameless way to get yourself um, a way to meet some new people as well. Yes. If you're not too timid to share a room with someone you don't know, um, yeah. there is, I believe, a kind of roommate like situation. I, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but um, yes. that can be a way to kind of reduce the cost. I think the hotel rooms are like two something, 206. Is that about, about right per night? So that could be a way to help maybe, um, you know, eliminate some of that, that overhead cost if you're concerned. Yeah. Yeah. And people are, um, you know, saying this is when my flight gets in. Does anyone want to share a lift? I mean, there is a lot of community on that Facebook page. So once you buy your ticket, 
um, you know, request to be in that. I think there's instructions like in an email that you get, but um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's people that are hooking up, uh, you know, all, all about everything, <laughs> you know, do you want to split oh, yeah. a room? Do you want to split a lift to the hotel? Like there are so many different ways for you to make this trip more cost-effective for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there are ways that we can get you there. If you need help talking it out, DM mm-hmm. any one of us and we'll help you out. Exactly. We will, we will share with you all the tips and tricks. Yeah. Cause that Facebook group is filled with people are talking about outfits. They're talking about when they're going to the pool, like with the yeah. sessions that they want to go to. It's a oh, yeah. great place to start to, to make some new friends so that when you do arrive mm-hmm. at retreat, you're not feeling like, Oh, I don't know anybody. You're going to know basically everybody that's going there. You're, you're, yeah. you're going to know it. And we know that it's scary at first because ooh, what if they're not, you know, how they appear in real life or what if this, or what if that, trust me, nobody cares what what you're what what you're dressed like nobody really cares what you look like they are there because they are excited to meet you they want to know more about your story they want to get to know you as as a person and they just want to hang out and have some fun right so i just keep telling people come on vacation with us yeah it's a retreat yeah you're gonna learn some stuff but just come just come vacation with us oh vacation hang out like we do it do it i've been trying to tell everybody i'm like at last retreat like we were up and and out the door at like 7 30 every morning and we didn't get back to our rooms until like three two three four o'clock in the morning like we hang out out like we're out if we can throw down in the middle of a tundra in ohio (laughs) you can imagine what we'll do if we're in florida that's what I'm saying, my dude. That is dude, what I'm saying. Dude, that that set renew Saturday night was lit. I mean, we, I we, we had a make house. It through that. Oh, and you were having a hard time even making it through. I'm sorry, Sam. I got to call you out. I was like, Sam, yeah. come on, bro. You need it. You know. need it. <laughs> You're going to have to start. first pickleback shot with Sam yes. and April. Oh. I mean, it was a good time. And that's yeah. what it is. It's just a good time. My favorite memories from the uh, San Diego retreat in November was literally looking around. I was sitting in the pool, talking with all my friends, and literally every single person in that pool was a bariatric patient or a surgeon mm-hmm. or, you know, a dietitian. like everyone was there because of the same thing. They were all there because of bariatric surgery and everyone had their, their scars out. Everyone had loose skin. It was great. It was amazing. And that is literally when I think about retreat from, from November, that's what I think about are those moments where I could just look around and see bariatric patients yeah and i felt home and that's what we want for you guys as well i love it oh my god i think you just summed it up perfectly uh pretty much it is yeah Yeah, that's that's jason natalie's superpower it's like a radio ad (laughs) seriously if anyone needs radio ads for bariatric surgery slash bariatric retreat um Mm -hmm. hit me up i got you DM. DM. dm me Sam, my friend, where, where can people follow you on Instagram? So my handle is uh, bariatric chef Boyardi. So there's two C's in it. Um, so I'm just on um, Instagram right now. I thought about traversing over to the world of TikTok, but I think my, my ego and my emotions feel not good about that. So I'm just going to stay on Instagram where it's very supportive. Um, so yes, but just on Instagram and then um Within the next couple of weeks here, I should be um, hoping to start onboarding some some clients. So if you're interested in ever maybe working with me in an individual capacity or in some way, 
Um, there is a link in the, um, just like my bio. So you can go there, it's just like a Google form that you can fill out with basic information. Um, so at any point, if I ever were to be offering one-on-one -on -one or group coaching services, that's kind of where you would um, be able to find me. But I do offer um, on a pretty regular basis, free content, um, you know, a lot of things, like visuals, things of that nature on Instagram. Yeah, your feed is straight fire. Uh, I absolutely, we, the three of us recommend that you follow, like uh, Sam. And if you ever have any questions, you guys, he is a real human. You can just send him a direct message and he will either point you in the right direction or, or, or help support you as best he can. So do not be afraid to reach out. And I have a feeling, Sam, you might see all three of our names on your wait list. Just saying, just saying. All right. It could happen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, Sam, we got a little bit of housekeeping that we're going to, uh, that we're going to do, but don't go anywhere. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so of thankful course. like I said, that you are in our quarter and we are excited to continue to invite you on the podcast to share all of your knowledge. Yes, of course. Miss Nat, is there something you'd like to tell, tell our friends? Of course. Well, uh, we are actually recording this on our favorite day of the week, which is Sunday. Uh, Sundays are our favorite days because we get to highlight all of you guys, our wonderful Berry Nation community, um, our podcast li listeners, our Instagram followers, all of you guys. This is the day where we get to showcase you all that you've done um, and also share a little bit more just about you as a person. Um, we do shout out Sundays uh, every Sunday. We have a Google form in our uh, bio where you literally just fill out some questions about, um, you know, whether you're pre-op, post-op, uh, you know, some of your highs, some of your lows, some learnings that you've gotten um, since your surgery. Uh, and then you upload a picture of yourself. It does not have to be a transformation photo. It is just a photo that you are proud of that encapsulates you. Um, and then I receive it and I just do couple quick edits and then I put it up on our, our feed every single Sunday and it's a way for us as Barry Nation to get to know you guys but it's also a way for our community to get to know you as well um, so if you want to do that you can just go to the link in our bio and fill, fill out that form you do not have to be a member of our paid uh, membership you just literally fill it out and that's all you have to do and first come first serve I just put them up as they come in so uh, we really love it we love learning about you guys and we love highlighting uh, you as our community it's pretty rad it, it's it, I, yeah it is absolutely our, our favorite day it's how we grow the community and it's how we get to know the people who are who are within it as well and share stories because our stories matter it's time it's time to share our patient stories my friends and if you guys, if you guys are looking for an extra level or layer of support, we definitely invite you to check out the Berry Nation membership community. Uh, in March alone, I think we're getting close to 80 events that our members can attend and access. And by events, I mean support groups that are led by therapists, uh, support uh, other support opportunities that are led by uh, registered dietitians like Sam that, that help us navigate the nutritional waters. We have wellness coaches, and then we have peer to peer support events. So like in March, we're going to do a bingo night. That's like open to all of our uh, family and friends. We have uh, lunch hours. There's journaling breaks. We're onboarding new experts every single month. Uh, so if you are just looking for, like I said, that extra layer of support, I highly recommend you check out the community. Just go to berrynation.com and you can try it out for 14 days before you commit, because we know that this support might not be right for you and that's okay we're here to just get you the help that you need. Whew. Okay, Jason, I think we did it. Want to take us out? 
Sounds good. Uh, Sam, thank you again for joining us. Uh, your wisdom, your insights, your friendship, we just appreciate it. We can't thank you enough. We thank all of you who have been supporting us by liking, sharing, subscribing, leaving us voice messages on our Anchor app that we can incorporate into future podcast episodes. We appreciate you liking, sharing, and rating us on your favorite podcast player and YouTube as well, because all of those things just help us grow and get the word out to other patients that may need help just like you guys did when you found us so spreading the word helps them to help you to help us to help everybody so people helping people at the end of the day and that's what it's all about and just remember you've got this we've got you and we'll see you next time awesome thanks sam thanks guys bye-bye